be turning in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Great to see everybody here today. I uh, agree with uh, Raphael about the, uh, the soreness. I must admit, uh, I, I woke up a little sore in different places uh, from uh, what I normally am. But uh, anyway, we had a great day yesterday uh, working out there. A lot of good work was done. I do want to emphasize the midweek on Wednesday night. Uh, I know sometimes uh, midweek can uh, come and go and people don't notice it, but uh, we uh, this is for everybody. So, hey, you know, you don't have to be invited. Uh, you're expected to be there. Uh, <laughs> it went right through inv- invitation to uh, expectation. So, uh, anyway, I believe it will be Raphael next week that will be preaching uh, in here. The uh, coastal region uh, about a month ago invited me to come down there and uh, speak. And so we're excited to do that and uh, go down and see them. And uh, you guys will have Raphael, which would be nice as well. Luke chapter 6, beginning of verse 46. This week and next week is a series of lessons that Raphael wanted uh, the the, uh, sector here to do, the Lifeway Church. And uh, this week is entitled Dig Deep. So today's lesson is dig deep, and uh, next week is reach out, and so for the next two weeks, so we'll have uh, sort of these two uh, kinds of sermons. In Luke chapter six, beginning in verse forty-six, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Quite a question from Jesus, isn't it? I will show what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built Uh, His house on ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus here is, is emphasizing, I want you to hear what I have to say and I want you to put it into practice. And he says, he says, I'm going to tell you a story about two different people building a house. One guy digs down deep and lays the foundation and there's a torrent, there's a uh, storm that comes through and everything is solid and remains and the house is fine even though, you know, bad storm. The other guy just laid his foundation on top of the ground, didn't lay down uh, a good foundation and everything he built was destroyed. In my life, one of the famous pictures of our family with me growing up is a picture of my dad and I standing outside the home we lived in northern, northwestern Illinois. And uh, I had the worst look on my face you could ever possibly imagine. And it was a big laugh uh, in the, the Fuquay family about uh, uh, the look on Marty's face. And the reason why is because my dad had decided that we were going to build an addition to our house. Now just a little side note. I accused my dad one time, I said, I think you actually think up things for us to do to keep us busy. And, uh, and he, said, he actually said, well, you're right. He said, I'm surprised it took you age 16 for you to figure that out. Uh, but uh, one of his things of parenting is he believed that when you did things together, did projects together, uh, that that was a great part of family and important lessons could be learned and uh, were along the way. But the reason, you say, well, why did you have such a bad look on your face? 
It's because the contractor that was helping us with this project said that you, uh, you need to dig the footings. And you can do that on your own. He was going to help out with you know, a lot of the, the work that took a little bit more uh, of an expertise. But he said, you know, just digging the footings is no big deal. And so my dad put me to digging the footings. And I'd gone around uh, this area. And I had dug down uh, about uh, a foot. And I announced to my dad, I said, uh, this is far enough. I can't go any further. It can't be done. And so my dad said, well, I thought we were supposed to go a little deeper than that. Let me call the contractor. And so he called the contractor. He came back out after a few minutes. And he said, well, he said, the contractor said that normally he has an 80-year-old man dig the footings. (laughs) And the footings have to be 40 inches. And the reason, uh, you know, not to go into too many details, but this is uh, in a northern part of the state, a cold uh, area, and uh, you had to be below 40 inches to get below the frost line uh, during the, uh, the winter time, uh, so that everything would stay solid and all that. And so the picture was taken right after I learned that I had to dig these down uh, past 40 inches. But you have to dig down deep. And by the way, it could be done. It was done, <laughs> as a matter of fact. I have no idea exactly how long it took me to do it, but we got them down, and they were, uh, they were past 40 inches. But uh, you have to dig down deep to get everything very solid, uh, or you know, you're going to have a catastrophic mess uh, when uh, things get too cold, or when there's a storm goes through, or, or that kind of thing. To be solid, to be secure, to not be destroyed, you have to dig down deep. And that's what Raphael wants us to talk about here today in the sermon. You and your life. If you're going to be successful in life, particularly in your spiritual life, you're going to have to dig down deep. This is actually a pretty big theme of the Scriptures. Look back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We find someone uh, all the way back to Moses that talks about this in one of his uh, prayers. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. This is the song of Moses or a prayer of Moses. And uh, he's talking about a number of different things. Verse 3 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all His ways are just. And so he makes reference to this idea of He's the rock. He's the foundation of all that's going on. Look over to Psalm 144. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. David talks about this idea of God being our rock. In verse 1 he says, Praise be to the Lord, my rock, or my foundation, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Why deep? Because life is hard. Even the teenagers in the room here have already figured that out. Life is hard. It has moments, your life, my life, where life is hard. You know, we heard just this morning of uh, Claudia having a death in the family. Some of us, many of us in this room in the last several years have had death in the family. That's hard. It's hard to deal with. 
Many of us here in, in the midst of the last several years in our country having rough economic times, have not had jobs, we've had jobs that have been insecure, and those kind of things. And there's a lot of insecurity that can come to your life if you don't know that you have a job, or that you're going to have a job. Life is hard. We have a tendency to think, well, my life is hard, but the other people's life is not. No, that's not true. Everybody's life is hard. Everybody's life is not hard in the exact same way. You know, some of us here have had uh, fairly significant health problems. Others of us seemingly have been very healthy. Everybody's life is not the same. But everybody's life is hard in one way or another. I saw that uh, Maya is here today in a, in a wheelchair, just coming off an operation. Uh, I don't know how many operations Maya's had, but uh, do you know? I bet you do. How many? Five. For most of us, that's five more than we've ever had. And how old are you? Twelve. Life is hard. Everybody's life is hard. You don't know how it's going to be hard. But you can bet it's going to be hard. We always say, well, hey, you know, it's going to get better. Uh, well, it might. But it might not. And so you've got to have a foundation in your life. I want to look at this in a couple of different ways today. And uh, hopefully this will be helpful for you. Point number one. The reality is that everyone's faith will be tested. Your faith, my faith, is going to be tested. Great passage on this in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's get on over there. Let's hear those Bibles flying. Come on. You say, well, I have an electronic Bible. You can't hear mine. <laughs> well, then get your fingers flying and get over there. I'm already there. I beat you. Of course, I had my notes. I knew I was going there. So, I had a head start. James 1, verse 2. Everybody's life, everybody's faith is going to be tested. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or tests of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Everybody's faith will be tested to see if it's any good. To see if it can stand up to the test that you have. I want to go through some Bible characters here. These are Bible stories that most of us here know. If you don't know, uh, then uh, you can uh, find out about later than you will know. Abraham's faith is tested. God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son, your one and only son. Great story in the book of Genesis. His faith was tested by God. I want to see what you're made of in your faith. And He asked him to sacrifice. Now we're asked to sacrifice in our life, aren't we? Give up something that's of value to us to be able to do other things. Yesterday, those of you who served in our Martin Luther King Day, day of service over in all that we did, you sacrificed. Now, I don't know what you sacrificed, but you surely sacrificed time and comfort. Right? Yes. 
If you've ever painted for any length of time, you know that, wow, painting is tiresome, it's hard work, it's messy. Any of you have any paint on you today? I mean, Margaret came down for breakfast this morning and, man, she had paint all over her. On her face, on her hands, on her uh, elbow, you know, where she didn't see it, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever painted. If you were painting yesterday, you'll probably find paint on Wednesday that, uh, that you weren't aware of. You said, well, we did a little beautification. And I'm telling you, beautification was digging roots out of the ground that were next to the foundation of those buildings. And, uh, you know, someone mentioned that I was doing it. Yes, I was. But what I was doing a lot of time is getting out of the ways of the other guys who were really good at it. Uh, so they didn't hit me with their sledge and their uh, axe and their pick and that kind of thing. Man, that was work doing that. That's just hard. There, there's, no, there's no glory way to do that. Isn't there an easier way to do this? No. You just have to get down and dig and, and, and get the job done there. Sacrifice. You know, we're asked to sacrifice. Our giving is a sacrifice. Uh, what we did just a few moments ago, those of you who do it electronically, you did it at, at one second past midnight this morning. But our giving is a sacrifice. I want to tell a funny story about Karina this morning. Uh, she, uh, we got in the car to come to church, and uh, she helps out with uh, div- uh, putting the communion together. And we're driving along, and she says, Oh, no! And I said, Oh, no, what? She said, I forgot my check. And she said, can I give it next week? I said, that'd be fine. I said, but you know, uh, you'll probably uh, want to remember to give two checks next week. Oh, she said, oh, that's right. We're going to go to Coastal next week. I won't be here. Um, uh, she said, so then the next week, uh, I guess I should give three checks, right? And uh, I, she said, well, can I just do one check instead of three different checks? I said, that, that'd be fine. But you know, our giving is a sacrifice. And I appreciate it in her case thinking, oh, if I didn't give it this week, then I need to make it up. You know, that, that's an important uh, lesson for all of us to live. But sacrifice. Our, our life is, is, is tested by are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give up something that's of value to us to do things that God would want us to do with our life? Abraham was called to sacrifice. Moses was called to deal with critical people. You know, you read through the book of uh, Exodus and Moses and all that he did, he constantly had people criticizing him. I don't know of anybody, including me, that enjoys being criticized. You enjoy that? No. It really make you happy when someone criticizes you? No. No. It's annoying, isn't it? It's frustrating. There, there, there's, there's something within me when someone's critical of me uh, and what I've done is a feeling of, well, if you don't like what I'm doing, maybe you should do it yourself. You're good at criticizing someone who's doing something, but you aren't doing anything other than criticizing. You ever have those feelings? Or is it just me? <laughs> You're a perfectionist when it comes to criticizing my work while you sit over there and do nothing. You know what? We all have critical people around us sometimes. Actually, being criticized is a normal part of a normal life. 
How we deal with it, though, is an important part of how we deal with criticism. And you can tell by what I just shared that I don't always deal with it well. (laughs) Maybe I need to learn from some of you. But it's a test of our faith how we do respond when people criticize us, whether it's justified or not. Jesus was tested by God. We know that from His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We praise to God, God, may Your will, not my will, be done. It's a test of our faith sometimes, because sometimes in life, it is actually fairly clear. I'm either going to do what God wants me to do, or I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's, it's not clear. Sometimes it's a little fuzzy, fuzzy. Sometimes it's a little gray. Is this God's will, or my will? or I'm not sure exactly what this is. Sometimes, guys, we don't have the pleasure. We don't have the ability to say, well, I'm not sure. Sometimes it is... Box car letter clear. I'm either going to do what I want or I'm going to do what God wants. And that's a test. That's a very clear test. But sometimes it's just it's the it's the God's will test. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to do what I want to do? David is tested by God. With a test that for many of us, this is real life right here. And we're going to look over to Psalm 13 to read what David, I think this is a prayer that he's praying in Psalm 13. And look what he says. Psalm 13 verse 1. This is a test that our faith will go through. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. David, his faith was tested in the how long test. How long? For many of us, this is real life right here. For many of you singles that want to get married, how many times have you faced a how long? Is there nobody for me? Is there no husband? Is there no wife? How long? It's the how long test. And it's hard. I don't know all that David was going through here. David doesn't give us the details of what he's praying about in particular. But boy, his, his verbiage, his ability to describe his suffering is real. How long Do I have to wait for you to bless me, to take care of me in my life? 
Now, with any one of these tests, we can go into the poor as me. My life is so bad kind of moment. Whether we're Abraham, Moses, Jesus, or David. These are great Bible heroes all. And they all face these moments in their life of, of just flat out testing of faith. Point number two in this dig deep thing. I want to spend a little bit of time here in this point talking about what won't keep you faithful to the end. In Mark 13, in verse 12, Jesus makes a comment here about the concept of faithfulness to the end. Of course, the end is meaning the end of your life. In Mark 13, verse 12, he says, brother will betray brother. He's talking about sort of, you know, how people's lives may unfold and how things might go in a bad way. He says, brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Wow. Some people are going to go through a lot of hard times, aren't they? He says, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let me tell you something that should be obvious, but I'll state the obvious. The goal of faith, the extended goal of any one of us in our faith, is that we want to be faithful to the end. In other words, faithful to the time that our life stops. Do we die? Or that Jesus comes back again? Faithfulness to the end. Now, we have no idea what that means. That may mean a day. It may mean a week. It may mean a decade. It may be 50 years. We don't know what it means. It may be 80 years. We don't know. But the goal of any single one of us should be to be faithful to the end of life. We have no idea what's going to happen between this point and that point. Wherever that point is. We don't know where that point is. None of us in this room have any idea what our life is going to go through. Some of the things that we might go through, we have, we have shivering thoughts about them every once in a while in our life. I think for me, the worst possible thing would be to lose one of my children or to lose my wife. Let me tell you a story of my life yesterday. I'm out working on this bed that Karina and I are working on together. We have a project. Amen. Um, and, and, and Chris comes out and says, I'm, I'm going. I thought she meant, I'm going to go pick up Karina at Yola. What she said, now she has a theory that I don't hear well, which is not well founded. But, uh, but the doctor says my hearing's fine. Amen. I'm going to go with the doctor and not, uh, you know, Dr. Kildare over here. Uh, but. She said, I'm going for a run. Okay? So I come in in 15 minutes, and, and I've got to go back over to the project over there because it's 3.30 in the afternoon, 4. It's getting toward that time. And, and I've got to go back and pick up all of our stuff. We had two pop-ups over there and uh, my pickaxe and all that kind of stuff. And I have to go pick up all the stuff. And I go in the house, and I see Chris's purse. It's got her keys in it and her wallet in it. I thought she was going to go pick up Karina. I look outside, and Rosie's out there, and the Nissan's out there. Well, how is she picking up Karina if the car and the van are here? I thought, well, I'll call her. And I call her. 
and the phone rings. It's right there in her purse. I said, Chris? No answer. Where is she? And I thought, oh no. Did something happen? And so I start looking in, in, in the, in, in all, all through the house. I, I, and I, where I saw her, she was going down the driveway. I thought, oh no, did she fall and hurt herself or something? And I'm, I'm, I'm looking all over. The neighbors must have looked at me and thought, what, what is wrong with him? <laughs> I'm looking out around the car. I'm thinking, did she fall? <laughs> She have a heart attack, or what, where is my wife? I don't know where she is. I can't call her. She didn't drive anywhere. She's supposed to be getting. And, and finally, I just said, "Well, I don't know. I can't answer the question. I'm going to go and, and, and drive over to the place. I, I got to do something here." So I, I'm driving down our street there, and here she comes walking down the street. I'm like, where were you? <laughs> But you know, it was just one of those moments. Am, am I going to look in the room here and she's going to be on the floor? Whew. It's, it's that one of those moments that, that this scares you big time in, in, in our life. Being faithful to the end is what we're looking at here. Here's what will not get the job done. This is point number two. What you better not be building your faith on. What you better not be building, dig, digging deep into. And I've got four things here. Number one is others' faith. Let's talk about who are others. Teenagers, your parents' faith. I hope your parents are faithful Christians. But your faith had better not be based and built upon your parents' faith. Now, your parents' faith are going to be many of the foundation building blocks of your faith. My parents' faith was a big part of that building. But somewhere along the line, the transference has to take place. This is no longer my dad's faith. This is no longer my mom's faith. This is mine. You're not going to make it to the end if your faith is your parents' faith. You won't do it. I'll guarantee it. You won't make it. Others' faith can be your friends too. Can your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Number two here is a great minister. Not that I'm saying I'm that. But your faith had better not be built upon a great minister. Because number one, a great minister is likely not to be as good as you think he is anyway. And secondly, if you build your faith upon him, what what if he messes up? That's a fine how do you do, isn't it? You built your whole security and spiritually on him and now he messed up. Spiritual leaders are important to the development of our faith. And I better be a good part of the development of your faith or I'm not doing my job. But your faith better be built upon something more than me. 
Number three, a great church. It always bothers me a little bit when we invite people and say, I want you to come to my church. We've got a great church. Now, there's a good part of that and there's a compliment in that, that we have a great church. And I believe that we do have a great church. But your faith cannot be built upon a great church. You understand what I'm saying? We should desire to be a great church. We should want to be the kind of church that can go to a community center and in one day totally fix it. Wow, that's cool. I like that. We've got a lot of people here that are committed, willing to work, willing to sacrifice, willing to be the Jesus to the world today. That's awesome. But a great church, it better not be the foundation of your faith. You're going to have to go deeper than that. And lastly, determination. You're not going to make it. You're not that tough. You're not that gritty. You can't just suck it up and make it to the end. Now, you're not going to make it to the end if you're not tough and you're not gritty and you won't suck it up. (laughs) Determination is a part of faith. But it better not be the core of your faith. It's just your grit and your toughness. That won't get the job done. Point number three. What will get you to the end? It's two things. Number one, your personal devotional life. Your personal devotional Life. This is not your husband's. This is not your wife's. This is not your family group. This is not your minister. This is yours. This is between you and God. We don't have time right now to look at the different uh, texts here. I have several uh, references uh, because of uh, how long the sermon has gone. I don't have time to give them to you. But where, where it talks about how Jesus got up early in the morning and went out and prayed. That Jesus uh, often went out, it says, into lonely places and He prayed. This is Jesus' personal devotional life. This is not Jesus teaching the twelve how to have a devotional life. This is Jesus having a devotional life. Now, did they learn how to have a devotional life by observing Jesus? Surely they did. Yes, they observed. They remembered. And I'm sure that that had a great impact on their life. But somewhere along the line, it became their devotional life. If you are not developing and treasuring your disciplinary habits of your devotional life, you are putting your life in spiritual peril. You need to be reading your Bible. It needs to be your personal devotional life. It needs to be going on on a daily basis in your life. Now, I don't want you to go weird on that. Oh, I missed the day! Ah! That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your, your habits. Your spiritual habits. 
You need to read the Bible. This is not your husband doing it. He can't do it for you. This is not your wife. She can't do it for you. This is your time. You and God alone. This is only going to come about by you having conviction about it. This is nothing that someone can ever hold you accountable to. And it ever gets the job done. This has nothing to do with someone holding you accountable other than you holding you accountable. And what do you expect from yourself? If you're going to make it to the end, you're going to have to have your own personal devotional life. Reading your Bible. Prayer. Now the other thing that's very interesting in this context is it says that Jesus went to the synagogue as His custom was. And let me talk about church since you're here at church. What happens to, in church that, that, that should be happening in our lives? And it happens more or less every week. Every week isn't always awesome. The sermon isn't always awesome. The, the singing worship team doesn't always do a good job. Sometimes the sermon it stinks, and I know that. Sometimes I go home, I'm like, well, hey, swing and a miss today. Amen. Uh, you know, you probably go home and say, hey, swing and a miss, you know. Chickway uh, had a big foul ball today. Uh, okay, fine. But when we come to church, we hear the Word of God preached. We sing songs that have words that lead us in, in, a, in a worship experience. They lead us to think of spiritual things. We look around us and we observe others worshiping. We see them singing. We see them uh, 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 just in, in fellowship or in, in whatever circumstances that are around us. That develops our faith. We see the faithful and that creates faithfulness within us. Now, like I said earlier, if that's all you got going on, it's not enough. But it's very important for me to see you guys. It's important for you to see me. Even to the point as your minister, that if I'm going to be gone, I always make sure you know where I am. Where am I going to be next Sunday? Coastal. Coastal. Amen. Did Marty blow off church today? No, he actually is over there somewhere, blah, blah, blah. But we see each other. We see each other go through the acts of worship. We see each other fellowship. That's why some of you guys, and i got to say this, man, when church is over, look, you, you, you almost sprint out of here. It's like you're, you're doing the walk. How fast can we walk to the parking lot thing? You know what? You're trying to get over to Burger King before the Baptist church lets out? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Hang around. Talk to somebody. You say, my kids are hungry. You know what? Amen. I don't think they're going to starve for 15 minutes. Really? They're just going to mail over right there and perish. They just haven't eaten in days after all. I mean, come on. Hang around a little bit. Act like you like us. Really? You're going to have to spend eternity with us, you know? You might want to introduce yourself and everything. Yeah, hey, good to meet you. 
Same neighborhood in heaven, you know? I'm going to put you door to door with someone you didn't like the fellowship, you know? <laughs> Your personal devotional life, guys, is crucial. And secondly, your relationships in the Lord. Your relationships with God's people. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 8, above all, now I'm telling you, when someone says above all, that means this is really big. Above all, love each other deeply. This is stated as a command, as an expectation. Love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. You are not going to make it to the end if you don't have deep relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you need to work on this seriously. Your relationships are superficial at best. You see each other at church, but you really have not bonded with anybody in the fellowship. The relationships that we have with each other in the church, brothers and sisters, are not to be like the relationships that we have with someone that we went to school with. For some of us, we, you know, the, the teenagers, they, they, they're, they're in school right now. So they, you know, but remember back when you went to school. You know what? You went to school and you went to science class. And you went to science class and, and Mary sat here and Bill sat there. You know what? You, you don't know what Bill's doing now. You don't, know where, you don't know whether Mary's even alive or dead now. You didn't have a relationship with Mary and Bill then, and you don't really want to, you didn't really want to have a relationship with them then, probably, and you could care less about having a relationship with them now. Our relationships with each other in the Lord, we are commanded. There's an expectation that we love one another deeply. Amen. This is not if you can work it out and you're a real friendly, loving guy. If you're not this type of person, the goal and expectation of a pastor is like that is not for you to excuse yourself from it, but to understand that you've got to grow to the point where you can start having some relationships. Where you do really love each other deeply. And you really do care about each other more than just, hey, how you doing? As we pass each other at church. Well, I'm not good at it. Well, start. <laughs> Try. Try harder. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things in life that I've gone through and you've gone through in life where we say, well, I'm not really good at it. I don't want to do it because I don't want to deal with, 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 with the not being good at it. And you know what? Basically, there's a lot of things in life you can get, you can get by and say, well, I, I don't like to do that. I'm not good at it. That's fine. You don't really have to be good at it. And you can live a full and rich life. This is not one of those things. You can't just say, well, I'm not really good at people. 
I'm going to be a faithful, godly Christian, but I'm not really good at people. Really? How does that fit with Jesus saying, this is how you know My disciples, because they love each other? Really? Jesus says the identifying mark of a real Christian is that they have great relationships with each other. How in the world are you going to say, well, I'm any kind of good Christian. I'm any kind of faithful Christian. Well, I'm not good at it. Really? Then get good at it. Study someone that is good at it. There are people in this room right here, if you just watch them and imitate what they do, you'd do fine. I've shared this before, but there was a brother in the Chicago church years and years ago, Ryan Howard. He's since passed away. But Ryan was a guy that uh, was one of the ministers there, and Ryan was just the most loving guy in, in, in the world. Now, he had a little problem with body space. He, he would invade it. <laughs> My problem fellowship with Ryan sometimes is I was backing up the whole time. Because <laughs> he kept coming in, you know. <laughs> you know? But you know what? I, I would watch Ryan and just be amazed. He was the anti-Marty. <laughs> and there was probably some things about Marty that Ryan needed to, to get as well. And maybe a little bit of Marty and Ryan would have filled in some holes in Ryan's life and made him a little bit better. But I'm telling you, there were some holes in my life. Gaping holes! of how to love and how to care and how to be uh, sensitive and how to e- even show that I cared. Man, Ryan, I mean, he, how, how you doing, bro? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Give me six inches, man. <laughs> I, I needed to watch Ryan. I needed to learn from Ryan. I needed a part of Ryan to become a part of me. There's some of us, we need to actually watch the fellowship unfold. Take a half step back sometime and just sort of watch. Pick out who you think in this room is is the all-American fellowshipper. We've got some really good ones here. Learn from them. Watch them. Imitate them. Ryan would always reach out and he, he would touch me. How you doing, bro? I was like, man, can, can we can we how to do bro without touching? I I tried it a couple of times. Felt real awkward, you know. How you doing, bro? <laughs> Got to work on my technique there, you know. Our relationships with each other in the Lord. Learning to love each other deeply. Learning to to mourn with those who are mourning. Hurt with those who are hurting. And to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You know, Kim's going to have a baby. Going to have a baby shower today. How much fun is that? I remember when we did that a long time ago. Those are happy times, happy moments. We need to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn 
with those who mourn, those who have difficult things going on in our life. In Ephesians 4, it talks about that we'll no longer be immature. See, for some of us, where we are in our faith is we're immature. We're not as good as we're going to get. We're actually going to get there. You're going to get there. I'm going to get there. We're going to get better at what we're not good at right now. But we have to understand there's times in our life where we have to look at ourselves clearly in the mirror and say, you know, I'm, I'm not where I need to be right now. And that's okay, because the truth of the matter is, if we look at the whole of our life, there's always something that needs to be improved. There's always something that we could do a better job in, and our faith is the same way. There's always something that we can probably do a better job in. But brothers and sisters, this concept of digging deep, let's dig down deep, not not 12-inch footings. Let's get the 40-inch footings. And you may look at your spiritual life and say right now and just say, it can't be done. You know? No, it can be done. You can actually dig 40 inches down and, 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 and put those footings in and build that house the way it needs to be built. You can build your spiritual life that way. You can dig deep, get down in there. Remember these things of, of, of what's not going to get you there. Because this is, this is crucial, guys. Not that we don't need these things in our life in some cases. We need others' faith. Sometimes you need to borrow from others' faith. We need others' faith, but it can't be the foundation of your life, of your spiritual life, those kind of things. And let's get really, really convicted on these two things that are going to get us to the end. Our personal devotional life and our relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope our study today has been helpful for you. Have a great day today, and let's have a great week. And we have midweek on Wednesday night. Amen.